0: Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. Hello, happy Wednesday. So excited to bring you an interview today full of just real and honest wisdom for parents of babies and toddlers. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Vivian Carlin, a 20 year veteran of pediatric medicine and mother of six children a few of which are adopted, so that's a fun connection she and I have, Dr. Carlin and I talked about the overall concern among pediatricians about babies and toddlers and screen time. One thing I loved is her honest evaluation of how blind we all are as we walk through this, that we don't have history behind us to show us how to do this. And more than that, how current research on this topic is actually really limited and I love how she explains how professionals like herself use what there is in research to provide practical tips for parents. An important key takeaway, as you'll hear Dr. Carlin discuss, and it is similar to what we said last week, is we don't know exactly how damaging or detrimental this baby and toddler screen time is. But medical professionals pretty much know that there's not a developmental advantage, right? So screens are not advancing or increasing a child's development at least. So with that knowledge, she gives very good practical advice and hacks for parents who are in the trenches. All right, before we get started, I wanna highlight one of our collaborative partners, Aro. Throughout the interview, Dr. Carlin mentions how important it is for parents to be engaged face-to-face with their children, to set the tone for how screens are to be used, and that starts with yourself. Well, the RO box is such a great way to establish habits that will stick and you can start it now while your kids are babies and toddlers. You need a place and a motivation to set your phone aside and be fully present with your babies and toddlers. And with RO, you can utilize the box for charging while the RO app is quantifying your off-screen time and is allowing you to compete with others in the friendliest way possible, of course, and it encourages everyone in your home to sort of join in this off-screen time. It's a great way for you and your spouse to just set the tone. We absolutely love RO, and we know that you will too. You can visit goro.com forward slash brave to learn more and use promo code brave, and you get your first month subscription for free. Listen, I think this is a fantastic baby shower gift and even more Christmas gift. Parents, if you have adult kids, give your Gen Z young adults this for Christmas. And frankly, to you parents out there who are listening, who are millennials and Gen X, and you're tired of seeing your own retired parents do nothing but scroll on their phones all day, right? Yes, this is a known issue among baby boomers, how much screen time they're using. The oldest of our generation, right? Give an RO to your parents. Just because they're retired and they don't have a whole lot to do, doesn't mean that 24-7 screen time for them is beneficial either. So go check out Aro and go to goaro.com forward slash brave. Use promo code brave to get your first month subscription for free. That's G-O-A-R-O.com forward slash brave. Okay, without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Vivian Carlin. Dr. Carlin, thank you so much for joining us on the Brave Parenting Podcast go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself,
1: who you are, and what you do. Well, first off, thank you, Kelly, for having me. Um, I am a pediatrician. That is what prompted me being invited on here. Uh, I've been in practice for 20 years. That'll give away my age. I have spent my practice in a combination of primary care and in um, children's emergency room care. So I worked for 12 years at the Children's Hospital downtown in the emergency room. And more recently, I am seeing patients at Brio Pediatrics in Leon Springs. Um, What else? I am a Christian. Um, I am a wife to a technologist. Uh, My husband co-founded a software company a few years ago and lives his working life on screens. And I can say that I'm thankful for that and how it's provided for our family. Um, I am a mother of six, and uh, my children are currently ages 10 to 19. So while we are going to talk about babies and toddlers, I am in the throes, like you, Kelly, of parenting preteens and teens and trying to manage their screens at those ages and all that goes with that. And because of that, I am nostalgic and excited and relieved to be talking about babies and toddlers and not teenagers right now. Right.
0: It is kind of a relief to, um, to, to myself as well, talking about this topic, because I am. Like you, we are in the throes of the teenage screen life, which is very difficult, but we can acknowledge that it all starts back from when they're toddlers. What you do and how you raise them regarding screens really comes to fruition, and you see it bloom when they're teenagers. So talking about this is really important because soon all of our listeners who have these babies and toddlers, they're going to be teens. You're going to blink and they're going to be teens.
1: Yes, I fully agree. And as I've seen in the evolution of pediatrics um, over the past 20 years, but really accelerated in the past four to five years as adolescent mental health has become such an issue. I mean, has just exploded. And as we more and more seem to find studies that link uh, a time-dependent relationship to time on screens with adolescent health. I feel just compelled to alert these pa- these parents with toddlers that now is the age to be setting the tone in your home for what's happening with media. I mean, if we can go back in time and set this tone now, maybe it gives us some hope of making adolescence easier when these now preschoolers teenagers and adolescence is always looming large. It feels far away, but it really isn't right. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's
0: talk about that. You said you've been practicing 20 years and my my brain is I have so many questions, so many things I want to ask and talk about, but let's let's look at that. Over the twenty years, you kind of mentioned the past four or five, of course, we've seen this explosion of adolescent, teenage mental health issues. What was the biggest concern? for pediatric health for babies and toddlers when you started your practice 20 years ago. And kind of how has that
1: changed? Would you say that it's all technology-based? Well, there's a lot of things I could talk about medically that have changed. Uh, Certainly in the 20 years I've been practicing, there's been a a major change as far as vaccine-preventable diseases. But I'm not going to talk about that and how that's changed my practice. Um, But I will say 20 years ago, the guidelines we were giving parents were um, limit screens. We weren't even using the word screens, right? We were saying limit television and computer time to two hours a day. It was very simple. It was very easy to review. One and done. That was it. Very easy for everybody. Um, of course, that has completely changed as screens have proliferated. And in conjunction with that, and I I don't mean to assign causality here, just correlation. The amount of counseling we're doing in primary pediatrics related to mental health, but also really related to helping parents access services for learning disabilities, ADHD, um, speech and language delays and things like that has really also exploded. I am sure those things are very multifactorial. I'm also sure that screens has some type of um, is a contributor to what extent, I'm not sure we'll ever be able to tease out. But I would say that that's been a significant change in the 20 years between what primary care pediatricians are focused on with their limited time with patients then and now. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I think that there is a lot of of
0: correlation. It's very easy to see from 2007 when the first smartphone came out. There's just a whole lot of change that happened in all of us. And it's not just that we're handing screens, individual you know, screens to babies, it happens in us, changes to us as adults as well. And so we're going to talk about that in just a minute, you know, just that what's the parent's role. But what would you say is your general synopsis of the state of preschool age children and screens? Are parents, for the most part, recognizing like, okay, we've got an adolescent mental health issue, so therefore I'm going to try and limit? Or is it this just makes life so easy, and because I want to be on my screen, I'm handing screens over to the to the young kids. Do you see a general consensus of where the parents are these days?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And I will say you mentioned you know the first smartphone in two thousand and seven, and when you think about that the the breaking point for when fifty percent of adults owned a smartphone was around two thousand and thirteen. So we're really talking in the past several years to decade on the high end when we started to see parents taking that precious smartphone and then handing it down to their children or handing it over to their toddler to use. And then really the proliferation of marketing around this, this new market for apps and programming to be developed specifically for toddlers on a smartphone. I mean, this is all in its infancy. And I think one of the very difficult things about this task before us is that it's evolving even faster than it did in the past several years, right? So we're trying to keep up with something that's already moving so fast. Um, I would say, I think there are a lot of families and parents out there that are completely overwhelmed, either in that they don't know how to manage screens or that there are other circumstances in life that are so stressful that they can't even think about this. This is a tertiary issue. I would say the the your listeners represent a group of parents that are very engaged and involved in this. And I think it might be surprising to people how many parents there are out there who have to, for stress or other reasons, hand their child a phone and don't have any idea how to monitor it. Yeah.
0: I would absolutely agree. Yeah, our audience does generally care. Obviously, that's why they're listening, because this is what we talk about on a weekly basis, is is how we develop (laughs) worldview. How does the Online media, screen content—how does that all um, really come together and impact um, our Christian faith and our worldview? So, so let's talk for a second then about the parents, because ultimately it is the child who just naturally takes it. I mean, we we don't expect children to be like, you know, at eighteen months old. No, no, <laughs> the AAP guidelines <laughs> says that I should not have any more. Mom, please take, you know, the screen away they're not gonna make those decisions. They can't possibly make the decisions to go off of it. So it really does, it comes back down to the parents. And I know it's extremely difficult. I don't wanna say that anybody can really these days even raise an analog child because we just don't live in that world anymore. And so there is gonna be some screen time. But when it comes to parents, do you think that it is as much or equal more? I'm just kind of curious your opinion of what you see of their own screen time using their own device, which I kind of perceive as neglect because they're not making eye contact with their child. They're not communicating with their child, engaging with their child when they're looking at their own screen. Or is it, you know, I wanna just do my own thing and maybe that's just shower, right? Maybe that's just something basic. So they're handing over the iPad to watch a cartoon and then the kids just love that so much and they demand it, they want it more. And so then it just becomes a new habit.
1: Yes. So there's a number of different principles in that question, Kelly, that you made me think of. And first and foremost, I will say that as my husband and I try to navigate this, particularly with our teenagers and are setting limits and setting rules for our home, I am very aware and acknowledge to them that part of the reason we are doing this is because we recognize in our own lives as adults, how addictive these things are and how we need to set limits and how we are also trying to figure out for ourselves what those limits need to be yeah. as the technology evolves more rapidly than we can keep up. Um, so what I would say to parents, as particularly when we're thinking about these toddler ages, first off, like you said, the reality is we need our phones and they're not going away. I feel like I can get nostalgic and think about when I was a child and we would go on vacation my parents and my brother and I and we we drove everywhere we would always road trip and I would think how in the world did we do that where no one could reach us no one could reach my parents we were on the road camping without any contact like that seems so simple okay but then I have to remind myself so you know my husband has this software company and I can begrudgingly be frustrated with him at times when he is sitting in front of me and he's on his phone. But the reality is, if he had started a company 30 years ago, we wouldn't be going on vacation and he wouldn't be at home. He would be in the office. He would be you know, there available for whatever comes up with the company. Like technology has enabled us to go do these things that we couldn't otherwise do. So it's not all bad. So back to the example with my husband, and I'll use this to talk about our toddler's If I'm sitting there with him and I see him scrolling on his phone or on his phone, sometimes I'll say, hey, is this something for work? Or are you just suddenly scrolling the news? And so many times he'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. I just got a Slack message. I have to answer for work. And then I say, hey, that's great because I want you to work. (laughs) This is beneficial to me. Yes, please do it. So in that same way, even at these preschool ages, I think it is super important for us as parents to set the tone that we recognize that there's a difference between pre- being present with them and being on our phone. And because it's a reality that we need our phones, it is okay to be on your phone in front of your preschooler, but I think it means a lot to sit down at their level and say, "Hey, I want to play with you and I am going to in a few minutes, but I have this very important text that I need to answer. And I'm going to do that first. And then I'm going to put my phone down and I'm going to come play with you. And it's setting this example to them. Their phones are going to be with them for the rest of their lives, that they are important, that it is rude to just ignore them. And it also is a reminder to us as parents of, wait, I'm making an active choice here that I'm not, that I'm being on my phone. I'm not just getting sucked into the addictive quality of the scrolling or the app or whatever it is. So I feel like that's a really important principle. I I don't want to like guilt parents into being on their phones with their kids. I just want them to like learn to start setting this example and tone for them that it's okay, but acknowledge that there's reason that you need to do that. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that. We often talk about how
0: valuable it can be as you guide your child into what you're doing, inviting them into the productivity of how you use your devices. A lot of times I am on my phone, yeah, it may be for work, and it may be for banking, it may be for making a grocery, you know, order for, you know, curbside pickup. It could be all types of different ways that I'm using my phone, but instead of just assuming I'm just trying to channel everybody out and ignore them, I'm inviting them into this is a tool. This phone is a tool and I am using it for productive purposes because if we're not showing them that, then they're going to learn and assume, and I think you would agree, that it is an entertainment device. And I think that's what's gotten a lot of our kids sort of off track with how they use their devices is they were given it to them when they wanted to be entertained. And so when they get their own smartphone or they gain access to social media or whatever type of other entertaining um, apps and websites that there are, they just use it for that and they forget. They kind of forget that it really is a tool. they just lean towards that mm-hmm.
1: yeah, such an important principle in parenting, and with that, I want to point out, too, I think parents sometimes underestimate the degree to which their toddler um develops receptive language skills, and so, yeah, they may not fully understand what you're saying, but they're picking up on a lot of it, so it is totally okay to talk to them like you would an adult and say, "Hey, I need to be on my phone to order these groceries."
0: yeah, now you did mention. And I think now's a good time to ask this about language delays. And in the past, we have had a speech pathologist on who's been talking about it is it it is obvious there is a resurgence if you will or a, a growth of speech delays and language development because of what we don't know is it is it they're on the screen too much? Is it that there's just not enough communication happening? What do you feel that is maybe we know that it's it's just corollary,
1: maybe not completely causal, but is it that we're just not talking
0: as much to our to our toddlers?
1: OK, yes, yes. We I mentioned this earlier. We're certainly seeing an increase in speech and language delay. Of course, that's very multifactorial and hard to sort out, but there's certainly a correlation with um, with the rise in uh, media and screen use as well um so while it's hard to assign causality to screens there are some things that we know and the number one thing that i like to tell parents at this age is there is no developmental developmental benefit to screens at these ages okay we have a lot of of big tech now marketing involved to try to sell parents on apps for toddlers on learning games for toddlers even um learning shows for toddlers while these things aren't all bad, and if you're going to use screens, there are there are smart ways to make choices about what you're going to give your toddler access to. There is no developmental need ever for screens at these ages. And while I can't assign necessarily causality to the screen causing a developmental delay, I can certainly point to the incredible benefits of not using screens and development. And that's not going to be marketed to anybody because it's not money-making, right? So parents need to be aware of where their information is coming from and what biases are involved there. But when we think about how you know the human brain has developed over thousands of years, there were, weren't screens involved at all, right? So the value of learning to self-entertain, the value of learning to be bored. I mean, think about even in your own children, you've probably seen this where boredom really breeds creativity. I mean, this is where children become discover they have an interest in drawing or certainly develop an interest in reading more. But for so many of these things, there has to be like a quieting of the brain. I think what we need to remember is that there is so much developmental value in the things that happen when screens are not in the picture. Okay. Number one, this may have come up before. When adults are not on screens, when the television is not on, adults are talking. We know that children learn speech by watching other people talk. We also know that that does not happen from a screen. We would like to think that it would, but it doesn't. It doesn't trigger language in the same way as watching people talk. We don't necessarily know why that is. But one example I think of is that when you are learning language there's a component that is related to depth perception right like think about that like the learn your brain is wiring and learning this idea of speech and volume and tone related to the depth and distance of the person from you that's completely lost on screens for one example as I've talked to some um, physical and occupational therapists they are concerned that this translates into uh, motor and fine or gross motor and fine motor development as well where if you think about it when you're outside you have this huge visual field before you when you're inside that visual field is broadened a little bit more when you're staring at a television that visual field is limited even more when you're staring now at a phone your visual field is so narrow and that's another area where we don't really understand the effects yet of how that's affecting development globally not just in speech but in other areas so i think there's a lot of factors of not having a screen that we know naturally really encourage development. Um, The second one I'll mention is just this idea of allowing children time to be quiet, even to the extent of being bored. Uh, I have one of my children who comes up to me and says, Mom, I am so bored. And she knows I'll answer and say, I think that is so great because there are so many fun things around you all the time. It is very hard to be bored in this house. And so if you finally gotten there, that's a wonderful place to be Yeah, <laughs> just there and come up with something creative to do. Right. We know that that like quiet time alone, bored breeds creativity in our children that we may never access or realize if they're continually fed by the entertainment of a screen.
0: So what I really hear you saying, it's not so much the detriment of the screen. We don't really know that exactly, but we know it's not, super, it's not nearly as advantageous as what you get off of the screen. And so it's not really what you're, what you're gaining or missing. It's just that what you're missing out in the real world, those lessons of, of learning to communicate, of learning language, of learning how nature works and responds to life in general, just having that big picture, that's what's missed when you're on the screen. It may not be that the screen is necessarily bad, but what's bad is that they're missing out on things that we know long-term over thousands of years of humanity uh, from the time God created us, that this is how our brains were wired to learn. Is that kind of right?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. That there's two sides to this. We can point fingers and talk about the detriment of media, and I certainly think there is detriment to media. I don't think we have it fully hashed out how much causality there is there because it's so multifactorial. But we also need to be talking about the detriment just in taking away time from the natural world and the way our brains are wired to learn from our experiences out in the natural world, from other people, from nature, from our big visual field, from our ability in our hearing to detect depth perception, all of these things that are lost on screens. I also think that there's benefit to our children learning to be alone and entertained without screens, right? I think this is a skill that gets lost the more we feed them screens as entertainment. I'll give you an example. Um, I'll often in these ages be talking to parents about a child who is having trouble because they're dropping their nap, right? They go down for their nap. They stay awake the whole time. And sometimes parents will be so concerned about this that they'll they'll they may turn on the TV to see if it calms them down to help them sleep,, oh, no. which of course, we know is is very stimulating, not a great idea. It may help in like keeping them safe and quiet, but not good in promoting sleep. And I'll often encourage parents, hey, if your child is used to going down for a nap, don't worry about whether or not they're sleeping. Give them picture books and tell them that if they decide not to sleep, it's okay. Let them look at the books and then you're going to get them up at this certain time. And if they develop this pattern in that of being alone and quiet and enjoy entertaining themselves without media, that is such a huge life skill. Like, let's work on that instead. That's a really fantastic example, because as we know,
0: our adolescents, because again, these toddlers will be adolescents in just a second. They have such a hard time of allowing their brain quiet time. They're just so constantly engaged. And this is definitely something I think that we could probably, as as parents of, of youngers, could probably focus more on and actually be more intentional about is that idea of quiet play that is cre- meant to be creative or at least contemplative. Because if you never give your brain a minute to rest and think about, you know, when we were young, and parents still do this, I know, I'm going to leave you here in a timeout for 15 minutes for you to think about your choices. Well, why, why did we do that, right? It's that quiet time of contemplation where you process how my choices impacted the world, impacted other people, impacted the situation at hand. And that processing is so crucial for, I would say, just healthy development. But when the screen is just the natural... Let me just be entertained and stop thinking about this bad choice I made and contemplate that. Let me just be entertained. I think we lose that ability.
1: Yes. As we're talking about this, I'm thinking about how to, to enable our children to develop that ability now in this day and age. This is something we have to purpose to do. Yeah. You know, like I gave the example with the nap. We have to purpose to find times to start training them to be quiet, to have time alone, to learn how to entertain themselves you know, 20, 30 years ago, it just happened naturally. This wasn't something parents had to add to their list of things to teach their child because it just wasn't that long ago where cartoons came on Saturday morning and then they turned off at a certain time and the child was bored, right? Now we've got such an abundance of programming all the time. We have to add this to our to-do list is to teach our children that there are times to be quiet and still and alone and be self-soothe, self-entertain, self-reflective, those types of things I think are super important skills that we start training in toddlerhood. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, in the word of God says in Ephesians 6, 4, you know, to raise our kids, the knowledge and discipline of the Lord. And that these days takes a lot of intentionality. And that means you have to carve out time for that. Not only are you carving out time from every other good thing that you want to do as a parent, And you really do have to make the choice of what's the cost gonna be if I'm gonna raise my children in the knowledge and discipline of the Lord as I'm instructed to do as a Christian parent, what is that gonna look like? What kind of intentionality do I have to have? Because it's not just the screen time, right? Because time is just one factor of it. There's also the content. And let's talk about the content because right? some content might be benign. Maybe it's Mr. Rogers. It's always kind of like the default. We all love Mr. Rogers, people who are my age. We grew up on that. It's so slow and and it, slow paced and just contemplative and but nowadays, that is not the content that is being produced. so what what would you say about content? Because you know, if we look at AAP guidelines, it says that up to like you know two years old two to five that they can have like one hour of high quality programming how do parents find what high quality programming is? What would you as a pediatrician define what high quality programming is?
1: Okay. So there are, there are two principles I think of with that question. Um, the first Kelly is that starting at these ages, I tell parents because I have so little time with parents when I see them for a health visit. Um, but if I can tell them one thing, I tell them that I want them to set the tone And I will say this as early as 15 months, I want them to set the tone that they are the ones in charge of how much screen time, what is being shown, what's being watched and um, how that is going to be regulated and that they're going to set that tone now. And that's going to continue through the course of their parenting all the way into adulthood, right? So that this child knows that the parent is very involved. Not just in what screens, but how often, how much, and the content, for sure. When I look specifically at these preschool ages, you know, ages 2, 3, and 4, and I feel confident that there really is not educational benefit to screens, right? Now, once we get to like 4, 5, 6, we could change that talk a little bit and talk about the opportunities to learn things from screens. But I feel like in the preschool ages, really what I want to do is mitigate the distraction of screens and and prevent children at those ages from their brains latching on to needing to be fed these very quick-paced, rapid rewards that can come in television. So I think in a way to summarize it, what I did with my own parenting and what I would recommend to parents who are trying to navigate these at these ages is to start with the most boring option possible. <laughs> I am not I a I'm not a uh, I'm not necessarily an advocate for no screens at all and if you don't have screens at all then you've already achieved that and you don't even have to worry about it right? That is an option, certainly an option, no screens. Okay, if you're going to use screens, then let's think about like what is just really just very calming and slow. So a lot of children's p- programming has very rapid Scene changes, right? We've seen some of this come under fire in the past couple of years. I was sitting at a stoplight the other day after dropping my kids off, and I was there was a minivan in front of me that had a um, one of the drop down screens, and there was a children's cartoon that I recognized playing. And so I just sat there at the red light and I counted the scene changes, and it was every, it was consistently every two to five seconds. Occasionally, I would get that five seconds. It was mostly two, three, four. It's so rapid. We don't really understand the effect of that, but that in no way simulates the real world. And if anything, we can conjecture that it's training the brain to receive this very rapid fire reward very in a similar way to the idea of scrolling on social media. Our brains like that like quick hit of information, information, information. Okay. So if I were going to choose screens for a toddler age child, I'm going to go with something completely opposite. Something like just to throw out there, like Disney nature, right? Like it's very slow. It's very calming. It's actual animals. There's nothing violent, of course, like nothing violent, but that kind of goes without saying. Um, All to say like all children's programming is not made equal. And again, most of it is made with this, this this idea to keep children watching Um, a step up from Disney nature. I generally like the PBS Kids' suite of shows, like they tend to be slower paced. The conversation tends to be a little bit slower, not so fast paced, not so sensational to try to captivate a toddler's mind. Again, like once we get into school age, we can talk about the things that they can learn from these shows. And we know that their brains are capable of hanging on to information about different animals and things like that. But there's really no need at the preschool ages for them to be learning from media. I think there's reasons to use media but I would try to do it in the least addictive, <laughs> least stimulating way possible. So shows that are geared for that, you know, in, in essence are a little bit boring, that are slow paced. And if they're, for toddlers who have not been exposed to media, they will most likely be captivated with that, right? But as soon as they get used to the higher paced show, they're going to ask you every time for that. Like as you go up the hierarchy, I mean, and then once we get into from a, uh, watching a some type of screen, like a television programming, to then holding your own device, to then playing an app that is geared towards some kind of gaming, like we are talking increasing levels of, of engagement and hyperstimulation and addiction. And I think most parents realize that their child will consistently just ask for the highest level one that they're being offered. So start low and work your way up. That would be my advice on content with the caveat, which I said first, that the most important thing by far is that the parent is setting the tone even then that they're the ones in charge and they're in control of what's being chosen to be watched. That's great advice.
0: Okay. So along those lines, I have to ask because I get a lot of questions about whether or not the YouTube channel of Miss Rachel is appropriate for their babies. Um, I've I've been asked several times, I know people who are using these Miss Rachel videos as early as six months. Is it okay? This is how my child has been learning to talk. I've even heard of parents who say, my child won't eat now unless they're watching Miss Rachel, because they're just, they love Miss Rachel so much. So what are your thoughts on that type of
1: YouTube channel? Okay, that's an interesting question. So along these lines of, you know, what I quoted is. As- as choosing the most boring option available, I will say there's a lot of content out there that is a human, like an actual human, talking to a child or reading a book to a child. And I would put that in that same category of it's not for rapid scene changes, it's not cartoon, it's not loud, the language is at a normal cadence. But again, remembering that this is not the most effective way to teach children language. They learn language by seeing the people around them learning language. Um, It's probably better than a lot of other content that's out there for kids. But I'll give two cautions. The first is anything related to YouTube, anything related to programming, where there is an automatic continue after the next one. I just hate this. I mean, it's on everything now that it's going to continue to the next thing. It is created to addict you to continue watching. And even with that programming that's geared for the six-month-old, if the parent is not super active in turning that off, it's just going to continue and continue. So I think YouTube is a little bit of a risk there. But secondly, although this may not change the child's development in any way, you still need to think about just the overall tone that you're setting for the child of that it's okay for us to sit here and watch YouTube when we could just be together or we could even just be quiet together, or I could be talking to you instead, right? I think there's a little bit of a risk there of setting that tone of using media so early on. I Can I say that I think that is affecting their language development? Well, probably not. I mean, that's probably okay. I certainly, as the AAP would say too, I certainly am an advocate for FaceTime, uh, not because I think it's a great way to learn language, but because I think it's a super great way to build relationship. And those relationships with grandparents or faraway family are far more important than any detriment or whatever we could negotiate out as far as development and use of FaceTime. Like this is a multifactorial issue, super important, right? So I think my, my, in, on the one hand, yes, if you're going to use programming for your preschooler, then choose something like that. But on the other hand, be cautious about anything that is, continuing you in a loop of next episode, next episode, next episode, and just that it's still is setting a tone of, Hey, we're going to use YouTube and maybe you don't want to go there. Yeah, absolutely. Because yes,
0: because YouTube has, I mean, as Christian parents, they don't at all have a Christian principle at all guiding anything on there. Yes, YouTube for adults can be a fantastic resource. We've talked about this on the podcast with Mm -hmm. other Um, young adults who are using it to really grow their faith and knowledge of God's word. And that can be an excellent tool. But at young ages, showing them like, hey, YouTube is the place to go because they will start processing that. I think that can be really dangerous, especially when you're trying to shape and mold their worldview. And so much of, I would say, just average person generated content because this is not a, a movie studio. This is someone in her apartment essentially making you know these YouTube videos, you just never know what type of underlying worldview is going to be mm-hmm. um, in there. And so I would always say, too, make sure you're previewing before you are allowing your young child to watch something. Make sure you've watched through it and thought through it and maybe even prayed through it in the mm-hmm. sense of, is there anything that would kind of lead my kid to question God or question themselves? Because at these young ages, they're being taught from places and and
1: spaces, all sorts of bad ideologies. Right. Absolutely. That's such a good point. And it's another point, I think, just with screens in general, but a tone, again, that's set at toddler ages. Um, We have to make effort these days to be communicating about the content on screens. This didn't used to be the case when the television was in the family room and everybody knew what was on it. But now that everybody is capable of having their own device, And it becomes an individualized experience instead of a shared experience. This is another thing parents have to add to their to-do list. We have to be actively talking about the content. And there's going to be things at preschool ages, thankfully, we can control. We can completely control what they're going to see. But that's going to change, right? And there's going to be things that come up that we weren't expecting. But if we're not present watching it, we don't even know that it happened. So I think this is so important for parents to have shared that shared experience. I almost, as kids get older, I almost even just give that a free pass. If you're going to watch a movie together, great. That's such an opportunity for family bonding and discussing the plot and discussing the characters, like go for it. If you're going to watch college football together, great. That's such an opportunity for the child to bond with the parent. I mean, these are totally different. And yet these are the screens we were talking about 20 years ago, right? And now compared to what's out there, this seems so good. But just as you're (laughs) talking about with Miss Rachel, like, yes, yes, we have to be so involved in content. I will say one of my personal favorite hacks with preschoolers um, was always using a DVD player. And I will admit, I am that person that has gone to Walmart and asked the poor employee where the portable DVD players are and have had to hunt for them. And they do still market them, and now we can find everything on Amazon, too. But because it's it forces a I'm deciding what's being watched, and there's a definite start point and there's a definite end point. And it has to be a shared experience. I mean, like yes, you could have your own individual portable DVD player, but but it's still it's a screen that's up that's open that everybody can see. or for a long time, we had a DVD player. We still do plugged into our TV in our living room. So, when I had kids that I needed to use media for, and this is something we should talk about, um, they could watch DVDs. And I knew, I knew everything that was at their selection. And that was much different than handing them the remote for Netflix. Now, my youngest is 10. They have all gotten to the point that they get the remote for Netflix. And I'm not sure that's the right age or whatever. We held off as long as we could. At some point, it has to happen. But it does not have to happen when they're preschoolers. Right. And I think that's a good point because you and I, you have
0: six, I have seven between 16 and 26. The younger ones always end up getting more because the older kids have advanced and they're either playing a video game and the youngers can see it or they're doing it. It becomes really hard. So I just want to give grace to the parents who are like, oh, my youngest, (laughs) you know, I didn't do as good of a job. And it just becomes really hard. I just want to acknowledge that it is it is hard.
1: Yeah, I'd actually like to talk about that a little bit. And um, so God has really blessed me and humbled me by and taught me a lot by giving me six children that are very, very different. I mean, we run the range on so many different things. I have a, a daughter who's six foot two. I have a daughter who will probably not hit five feet. I have children that have been on a 504 and an IEP. I have children that have been in the gifted programs. I have um, children that are really gifted athletically and children that are really like me, not gifted <laughs> athletically and have to overcome that. I mean, I just have a whole range of issues that I get to see just in the context of my parenting. And I think that makes me a better parent and hopefully a better pediatrician and hopefully a better human. Like I have a lot of empathy and understanding for parents in different situations and seasons of life. And so with this whole conversation about screens, I want to offer a lot of grace as well, because I've experienced this in my own parenting. And I have two with pretty significant ADHD. I have children who are overcoming Uh, early infancy trauma and neglect. I mean, there's a lot of different issues that have arisen just in the context of my parenting. And there've been a number of times where very well-meaning friends or others or teachers have said, hey, this is kind of an issue. Have you ever thought about doing this to help? Whether it's like a timeout or whatever, whatever it is. And so many times I thought if it were that easy, I would have solved this problem a long time ago, right? Like I know, like trust me, all the normal things that you're going to tell me that I should try will not work in this situation. And so, let me talk about my evolution of screen use. When my older three were toddlers, we we like I like growing up, we do a lot of road tripping. And we were a, I remember the days when I could road trip with three kids ages 4 and under without screens. We would we moved here from the East Coast, we could do the 20 hour drive to the East Coast without screens. I had books, I had markers, I had like paper. I mean, we had audiobooks. They had so many things they would do and they would pick them up and they would be entertained. And it was just beautiful and fabulous. And then years later, I have a child who probably for a good six months would scream every time she was in the car. And it was probably a combination of just the hyperstimulation as well as just the being strapped in. And I remember the day that we took a road trip and we gave her a portable DVD player. And I felt like a rock star Kelly because suddenly <laughs> yeah. my family that couldn't road trip anymore could do it again and we had solved our problem and we were able to do it. So that is just a tiny little example of how our life and screens it's changed. I mean it's different and it's different things that worked for some of my kids don't work for others of my kids. I mentioned the nap time thing. I had kids that were great that they were in that routine of doing a nap at home. I was homeschooling at the time. As they transitioned out of the nap, they just gradually transitioned into reading during that time instead, and it was wonderful and beautiful. And if your children are capable of doing that, go for it. Don't let screens rob them of that. I had other children that if I tried to do that, I would literally have been worried about their safety. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There were times that I couldn't like go take a shower and leave them playing with a set of toys because I would be nervous about what they would be doing. But I knew that if I put them in front of the TV, I could go take a shower and they would be fine. And I never felt guilt about that. So I think that there's a, a lot of grace to be granted in this. There is not a one size fits all or a right answer. An example I like to give my families in my office is I've told you I have six kids. I have five fabulous eaters. They eat anything I put in front of them. I have one that is so picky. He's that classic, I can list you the five foods that he eats. And it took me a while, probably because it was like a stressful season of life to realize that what he was actually doing was just fasting until he hit a meal that he liked, and then he would eat like three days worth, and then he would fast again. And this probably went on for a while without me realizing. And I tell parents that I see who feel incredibly guilty about their one child who's very picky, you just didn't have enough children because it's probably not you. Because I can <laughs> attest that I did everything the same with all six yeah. of them and worked for five and it didn't work for one. So that's on him. It's not on me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just think there's this similar concept with screens. Like we, yes, I'm, I'm going to give you all of these ideas and guidelines. Yes, I'm going to encourage you to choose the least minimal involvement that you can with your preschooler, but give yourself grace if the no screens just makes it so stressful that it's not working. It was more important for our family to be able to go on road trips together than it was to prevent my daughter from using a DVD for 10 hours in a car straight. That was the best use of technology we ever had. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. I think
0: that I was just thinking I was on a plane over the summer and they had children's programming on the TVs built into the, the seats in front of you. And I thought, if we're honest, in a day of so much air flight and families vacationing this way, those TVs keep the sanity for the entire entire plane.
1: because Yes,
0: yes. Because kids are not crying if they can watch that for an hour and a half or two hours, however the flight is. I mean – and that is just, it's just the nature of where we are and we don't really have to bemoan it so much, but we do need to really be intentional. And so I love the advice that you gave and, and really, I'm um, just the admonishment for all of us to be intentional, to try and make those best choices possible, but to not completely come down on ourselves or others who may be doing it differently because every child is different. All My Seven Have had to be parented differently. Yes, yes. So absolutely,
1: I totally agree. And you even mentioned too that it's very hard with the younger child with older siblings because they're exposed to, you know, screens that the older ones weren't. My oldest son, we didn't even have an Xbox in our house until he was thirteen or fourteen. Well, that means that my ten-year-old son knew that Xbox was a thing when he was five. Right. 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 It's different. It has to be different.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So as we wrap up, I think this has just been really great. And uh, for everybody, just to hear your perspective, Um, what other encouragement and admonishment would you give parents to just be brave to not only do this in the feared um, admission of the Lord, but just to do it because while we don't know all of the results and all of the
1: causation, there is
0: enough to know that we really need to make some different choices.
1: Right. So you kind of hit on this, Kelly. And I, I I should take the time to at least say I if I've learned anything over my now 19 years of parenting, I have learned how much I need to be on my knees beseeching the Lord in prayer for my children. I mean, I feel so inadequate. <laughs> I feel like there are so many decisions and choices and goals and things I'm trying to navigate and I can't. I mean, I feel like ultimately they are totally gods and I'm trying to be the best steward that I can. And of course I'm doing it imperfectly. So 100%. Yes. If I do anything for my children, it's praying for them um, over like restricting their screen time. Like if I am not fully acknowledging that I need God on this journey, then all of this is for naught. So Absolutely, I would say that. Um, practically speaking, with regards to screens, I've kind of expressed my my opinions on with these preschool ages. Just hold off as long as possible. There's a whole camp out there of people that do no screens for my older kids. We were practically no screens, and it worked fine. And it was not hard to do because they didn't know anything differently. As soon as you start to introduce them, they know and they'll start asking for them. So just make it an educated decision about that. But if you can hold off, hold off. There's no developmental need to do it um, at these young ages at all. Of course, as you know, that's going to change a little bit with teenagers. And because I, I don't think the answer is launching them at 18 and saying, hey, go figure it out with social media and gaming and all of these things. So there's some fluidity there of how we introduce it. And that's a whole nother discussion. And that's why I'm glad we're talking about preschoolers today, because it can be very black and white. They don't need it. Don't do it if you don't need it. Right. Um, I think secondly, again, I hit on this would be set realistic goals for your family and do that guilt-free and recognize, I tell my parents this in the office as well. We are all navigating this relatively blind. And if we think this all is an issue, VR headsets are like on the horizon, and then what are we going to be talking about with visual field development and language? We don't even know, and who knows what even comes after that? We are navigating it completely blind. We have nothing historically to go on on this. So there are absolutely reasons to use screens. Um, in my uh, uh, in my lingo, in my mind, I think of them as safety, sanity, and survival. And there have been a lot of seasons in life where we've. I've used a lot of screens with my younger kids for one of those three reasons, and I felt no guilt about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because at the end of the day, them watching an an extra amount of TV was probably better than me yelling at them, right? Like there are times that we use screen star advantage.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> I, I I I confirm that one hundred percent because we have uh, having a lot of teenagers in the house, there can be so many fights that sometimes yes. it is the healthiest thing for everybody to be on their own individual devices and stop the fighting because we just have a unique family. And so I just want to put that out there that, that even me, you know, sometimes that is the healthiest thing for everybody. Cause you're right. Me screaming about not about them, not screaming at each other. does nobody any good.
1: Yes. Yes. Sanity, safety, survival. You're totally right. Yes. If I can avoid my children fighting with each other, we use screens in that context too. Absolutely. Um, I, we talked about this principle, demonstrate to your children that you won't allow screens to keep you from being present. Have times, dinner time, whenever it is that the screens are away. When you're with them and you have to pick up your screen, remember, even at preschoolers, acknowledge, I have to pick this up to answer this text. I'm very sorry. Just give me a few minutes. Preschoolers even can understand that. And it's it's not only, um, it's it's just teaching them this principle in life that's going to be important. Um, we did not hit on this, but 100% set the tone now to prevent screens from in any way interfering with sleep. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a very confounding issue with adolescents, but the screens have to go off and they cannot be in the bedroom. So as preschoolers, as you're introducing screens, don't have them in the bedroom. Don't let them play on them in the bedroom. Have them go off at a certain time of night. I mean, this that is groundwork that has to be established then to hopefully save you some difficulty in adolescence, 100%. Yeah, that is a foundational thing. Yes, especially for the young ages. They've got to
0: know that that screen is not used in the room, but in a public space. We've talked about that uh, last week or the week before on the podcast. Yes,
1: yes, yes. And then the final thing I'll say, and this is when I have very little time on a a well child visit, um, this is often what I'll say to parents of preschoolers. We have a whole list in pediatrics of what's called anticipatory guidance. And you might be familiar with this, it often comes on a, there's a bright futures handout, it's called or a handout that's age specific, that I'll give you at your visit and say, Hey, here's the things over the next six months that are going to be developing and happening with your child diet wise, safety wise, pool safety, um, home safety, car seats, all of these things. And I'm going to hand you a sheet that talks about some of that. And then this is what I'm going to tell you. I'm concerned that the biggest threat to our children right now, especially as we look ahead to adolescence, is screens. So what I want you to do is set the tone right now that you are in charge and you're in control, that you're deciding what type of screen, what type of programming, that you're continually having a conversation with this about your uh, about this with your child, and that you're going to do this until they leave your house. So I think that's my number one takeaway yeah. to tell parents. I love that.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom on this topic. I know that it is going to bless so many. Thank you, Dr. Carlin. All right, Brave Parents, wasn't that practical yet so encouraging? We really are all in this together. None of us have it figured out, and none of us get this screen time thing right all the time. It is an ebb and a flow, and sometimes, and I love that she said this, you do need to use the screen. For times of safety, sanity, or survival. And we don't have to feel guilty about this, but it also means that it doesn't have to become a way of life. Like Chelsea and I said last week, there may be seasons of more screen time, but you can also get out of that season and have seasons of less screen time. This is just great advice. Parents of babies and toddlers, set the tone now. And I think this is truly part of our sanctification and the fulfillment of our calling as parents to be the primary discipler of our children, right? Parents, you are the shepherd and you must lead and protect your children when they are young, innocent, and vulnerable. And that's that's this age of babies and toddlers. And especially when we consider the content that is out there, this is such a pivotal and poignant role for us. And it's like Proverbs 22, 6 says, raise up a child in the way this should go and they will not depart from it. Now, this isn't a money-back guarantee from God. It's not a promise that is absolutely gonna be fulfilled in every single person, but it is general wisdom that we know historically proves true. Children who are raised with present and engaged parents, who are raised up in the knowledge and discipline of the Lord, and who are taught a biblical worldview and a framework from which they can evaluate the world, including online media content, they fare far better in life and grow up to love and serve the Lord. And this is what we want. So this really should be our goal. It's not easy. It doesn't mean you have to get it right 100% of the time, but it is our goal. So parents of young ones, this starts now, maybe even yesterday. So get to it, be brave, and know that your brothers and sisters in Christ are right there alongside of you fighting the same battle. All right, friends, that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you appreciate the podcast, we would love for you to take a minute and write a review on wherever you listen to your podcast. It is such an encouragement for the Brave Parenting team and it also helps the podcast reach more people. So thank you so much. And until next week, go and be brave.